Parshas Bahar. Anyone who reads this week's Parsha knows that in ancient times there was a great earthquake that shook the land of Eretz Yisrael every 50 years. Now the land did not actually shake, but on the 10th day of the year, soon after Yovel came in, a loud shofar blast was blown in Eretz Yisrael, and it was a sound that reverberated throughout the land, causing great turmoil. It was a blast that was the catalyst for such great commotion, such movement and upheaval, that it was as if an earthquake had shaken the land. What did the sound of the shofar mean? It was an announcement, a grand proclamation to all the residents of Eretz Yisrael that the land shall not be sold forever. Bahar. And what that meant was that the fields and homes that had been purchased in the last 49 years were now returned to their previous owners. That's how it was in Eretz Yisrael in the times of the first Beis Hamikdash. Whenever someone sold the property, it would revert back to the previous owner when Yovel came around. And so as the Yovel year began, many people who had purchased the real estate during the last 50 years had to pack up all their worldly possessions and leave their homes. Many large families with many children were uprooted from their homes. 50 years, that's a long time. People had become accustomed to living on this property and they invested a lot of money and effort into beautifying their lands and their houses. And now when that chauffeur sounded, it it was a decree from the king that all the fields that had been purchased in the last 50 years were to be surrendered back to their original owners. And that meant that there was a great flow of people, a tremendous commotion as people moved from one place to another. Many who had no land of their own for 50 years. People, who, people had wandered like beggars because they had to sell off everything to pay debts were now restored to their ancestral estates. And on the other hand, there were those who had been living in style and big beautiful homes on spacious grounds, but they had bought them. So now they moved out back onto the street. Of course, it wasn't a surprise. They knew it was coming. But as prepared as they could have been, we understand that it was a big disturbance for the nation. It had to be, because when real estate must change hands, it's not a simple matter. You'll have to set records straight, and there are bound to be arguments to settle. This man says the implements of the land, his plow, or his livestock belong to him. And the other one disputes that. There was a great deal of arranging to do, and it wasn't simple. The whole land was in hubbub. The roads were packed with families, mothers and fathers walking, wagons filled with children and belongings, some headed back home, others leaving their homes. Nobody felt settled. The nation was in an uproar. Now such a ceremony, such a national displacement, multitudes of people leaving their homes and traveling the roads, had to have an important purpose. And therefore, we should pay attention to what the Torah tells us about this great commotion of Yovel. Why is everyone moving? So we take a look at the reason HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives. The land belongs to me. You can't sell my land outright. You are merely sojourners, settlers, who are living by me. That means I am your host. 
and you are my guests. And now we learn a reason for this great commotion. It was a message for the nation all over the country. They were learning the lesson that the land has a landlord. And it's a lesson that had to be learned. Otherwise, it would be easy to forget. Here's a man who came in with Yoshua bin Nun when they conquered the land. And he had been delighted in a beautiful fertile land that he found spread out before him. So he invested everything he had into it. All of his energies and all of his time he had put into the land, both he and his children. And so after a while they forgot that this land once was not theirs and they therefore had to be reminded that somebody had given it to them. And so once in 50 years, all the purchased properties returned to their previous owners to show that nobody has a right in the land. Everybody took notice. Even the people who had no minds, people who didn't think, they became aware. They saw movement moving off land, moving into the land. What's happening here? And that was the great drama of the Yovel that Hashem intended. In order to make everyone understand, not just understand, but in order that everyone should feel in their bones that they are only visitors on the land. Now it's not only the nation that practices and study that pra- that practices and studies the mitzvah of Yovel, who are mere visitors in this world. The Germans and the Norwegians and the Eskimos are only visiting as well. The Pole who has been visiting in Poland way back as far as his history records is also a stranger. And the Hottentot climbing the trees in the same jungle where his forefathers had been running around for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, he's also only a visitor in this world. They're all visitors here and nothing is going to change that. When the time comes, they're, go- they're also going to leave this world. The only question is where, where they're going to leave to. But the Gentile nations weren't privileged to have the mitzvah, the reminder of Yovel. If a goy buys or sells real estate in America or in England, so as long as the liberals don't have their way, as long as the government doesn't turn socialist, so the Gentiles could stay in their land forever. They don't have to be reminded that the land is not theirs because they are mishpichos ha'adama, the families of the earth. That means their function is this world. Their purpose here is adama, purposes to farm the land, to put down roofs, to be firemen and everything else the world needs. But the Am Yisrael was given the special privilege of being taught by Hashem that they have a different purpose altogether. By means of the special institu- institution of Yovel, we're reminded that our stay here is only temporary and that what we're aiming for is something much higher than this world. Now, when you don't get special instruction or if you don't listen to instruction, so you begin to think that this is your place. Like the man who moved in next door to me years ago. I remember him well because as we walked to shul on Shabbos morning, he would be outside in his garden clipping, clipping his bushes. So this man, he was quite elderly already when he moved in. He decided to put up a metal fence, an expensive wrought iron fence. And in the middle of the fence was a big metal circle like a shield. And he put his initial, a big P, 
of cast iron in the middle. It was something that would last for the next 200 years. And I was thinking, that initial is only good for him, for his name. But how long will it be there? Well, it wasn't too long. One night we heard outside somebody crying out. His son was running out of the house, running down the street, yelling, Oxygen! He ran around the corner to the fire station and brought back a little oxygen tank. But it was too late. His father was finished already. And so the family eventually moved and now somebody else bought the home. The the colored man living there now has a big P on the gate in front of his house. It's not his initial, but it's still there in heavy metal. An insert in the gate, gate, memorializing the man who thought he would be around forever. Now, I never saw a Yovel in my life, but this message I did see. I saw it with my own eyes and I took it as a lesson from HaKadosh Baruch that that's what happens when a person becomes attached to one place. He begins to feel it's permanent, that this is security. People start thinking after a while that they're here for the next thousand years. It's not an exaggeration. That's exactly what they think. Of course, if you tell him so, he'll ridicule you. Don't be silly. I know that one day I will be gone. But in his heart of hearts, he still hopes, maybe I'll make it. Maybe I'll be around for a thousand years. Everybody is like that. They think they'll get out of it some way. I'll hang around, not like the other fools who get finagled into leaving this world. The Gentile, or Chaz v'chalila, the Jew who doesn't learn the lesson of Yovel. So he puts his initial in wrought iron on his fence. But when you know, when you really know that you're only a visitor here, you live differently. Now some people understand this lesson. They take the hint of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and live with the understanding that they are only visitors here. Like the Chavetz Chaim Zichron al-Vracha. I told you this story already. It's a story you all know already. But, but I'll say it again because it's the point of our talk tonight. Once a visitor came to the Chavetz Chaim's house and he was waiting in what he thought was the interior room, a waiting room. There was a table there made of a few boards of wood nailed together. And there were a few old benches there too. Also just some lumber nailed together. So when the Chavetz Chaim finally came out to greet the visitor, the guest said, Rebbe, don't you have to talk to me? Don't, you don't have to talk to me here. Let's go inside. So the Chavetz Chaim said, this is the inside. But Rebbe, where is the furniture? So the Chavetz Chaim said to the visitor, where is your furniture? My furniture? I'm from America. I can't take my furniture with me. I'm just traveling through. So the Chafetz Chaim said, so am I. On the other hand, I visited a poor man once. He was earning about $90 a week in those days. It was about 20 years ago. I was sitting on the sofa in his house and he told me, maybe he was trying to impress me. He said, this sofa cost me $800. Now today, it's nothing, but in those days, When I heard $800, I nearly fell off the sofa. I was sitting on a sofa that cost this man almost 10 weeks of his life. Now, I don't know if that sofa is still around like my neighbor's pee. Probably not. But the lesson is still there. It means that the lesson of Yovel hasn't been been learned yet. It means that we don't 
yet understand that we're only visiting here. Number one is to know that you're not a landlord here. You're a tenant. Because of habit, people tend to forget that there is a landlord. Let's say your landlord takes a trip to Eretz Yisrael and he stays away for five months. And in the meantime, he doesn't collect rent. So it becomes a habit. If you would come back and ask for rent, so you'll feel like it's an imposition. In just five months, you became accustomed to being the owner of this place. And we're here for much more than five months. 70, 80 years is a long time. And so we begin to think, this is our place. That this is where we'll be forever. And so keeping in mind that we're visitors here becomes a very important function of how we live. It's not enough to say over a story of the Chavetz Chaim. You have to think about it. It's a very important subject. And we should study it seriously. Oilam Haba, that is our place. Here we don't really belong. We're just passing through, headed to a better place. And if you're a person like the Chavetz Chaim, let's say, if you feel like a visitor in this world, so you have higher hasagas than iron fences and expensive sofas, you consider your success to be in more important things, in things of the spirit. This is expressed in a Pasuk in Tehillim when David HaMelech said, Ger Anochi Ba'aretz. I am a stranger in this world. Al taster mimeni mitzvotecha. Don't hide from me your commandments. What's the connection between the first part of the Pasuk and the second? I am a stranger in this world and therefore teach me your will? It's a non-sequitur. And the answer is this. If I had no other function in this world than just to be here like a forest or a mountain, if I was from the Mishpacha Sadama, so my function would be fulfilled just by living here. I wouldn't ask you for anything, but that's not my function. I realize that I'm only a visitor, uh, I am only a visitor here and I am headed for a different goal. And if that's the case, I have a lot to accomplish in this world where it's very easy to get lost in its permanence. And that's why I'm asking you to give me success here. And now we come to the subject of what this success, what is this success that David was aiming for? What should be the result of this knowledge that we're only visitors here? So for that, we look into the Chovas Levavas. And because his words are always gems, we should pay attention to what he says. His Sha'ar Cheshbon HaNefesh is a section in which he talks about subjects which people ought to meditate on, certain mental exercises that we are expected to think about. And he suggests 30 different ideas, 30 forms of contemplation, which he recommends for people who want to make progress. Of course, there are many things concerning which we should think, and those who are capable can add to the list. But he gives us 30 ideas to fill our mind with. Now you could be a good Jew, even if you don't strain your mind too much. But if you want to be something better, if you want to be successful in this world, it's necessary to, com- to contemplate certain ideas. There's no doubt that to be something in this world, you must spend some time thinking. And therefore, the list of the Chovas Lavavas is a boon for those people who want to make progress in this world. At the end of his list, he comes to Hamash, Hamashlim, 
Hashloshim, his grand finale, what perhaps is the most important attitude upon which he urges us to spend time thinking? And we'll quote his words and try to understand them. Hamashlim Hashloshim, Hu Cheshbon Ha'adam, Im Nafsho, the thirteenth, the third, the thirteenth thing, the thirtieth thing that a man should think with himself is about his circumstances of being a sojourner, a visitor in this world. That means that everybody is expected to set aside some time thinking for contemplating the fact that he is only passing through this world temporarily and that he doesn't really belong here. And therefore, he should never feel completely settled and secure in life. Let's say a man went to China for business. He didn't go there to mingle with the Chinese or even to visit the tourist sites there. He went for business in order to make some money to bring back to where he really belongs. He's not interested in anything else, not their language. Their language is alien to him. Their customs are strange to him. Their customs are queer in his eyes. He doesn't belong to them at all. And even though he might want to go see the Great Wall of China, he's curious after all, and it's easier to look at walls than to close business deals. But he knows that he came for one purpose, to take as much money and goods from China as he can. And while he's there, that's his sole interest. So he gets into the export business. He gets busy exporting as much as he could out of China. He doesn't want to leave anything there because he knows that sooner or later he'll be back home. And that's us. Our job in this world is to get into the export business. We're here to take out all that we can. Now what to export? Now what to export? That's a lot to talk about. But good deeds surely are valuable that you can take along with you. Thinking about Hashem, that's definitely something you'll take with you. Torah umasib tovim. That's the cash you'll take along with you. Or tzedakah that you gave. If you give away charity, it's in your pocket and you'll take it along you, with you forever. I once knew a Mr. Herman from the Lower East Side. Now Mr. Herman was one of the very few devo- devoted, devoted from Jews in the olden days of America. Believe in Efesh, he was devoted to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he told me once, that when he saw that all of his money was going lost, that his business was quickly failing, it was at the time of the Great Depression. So right away, he took $1,000. In those days, $1,000 was a small fortune. And he gave it away to Tzedakah on the spot. He said, why should I lose that too? Why should I lose my chance at exporting more goods into the next world? And so Mr. Herman was a smart businessman. And he quickly exported another container out of China. Now what to do for this world while you're still here? I'm not going to tell you right now what you should or shouldn't do. Should you beautify your home? Should you try to make money? The businessman in China has to sleep somewhere. He can't sleep on the street. He has to eat as well and keep himself healthy if he wants to succeed. And if he'll be there for a few years, so he'll have his family with him and he'll, ha- and he'll have to provide for them as well. And that costs money. So if you buy a beautiful home and you have a big garden around it, okay, 
I'm not saying you can't invest into beautifying your place. Why not? If you like garden work, agriculture, if you have a green thumb, why not? If you can paint on your own or you can hire people to beautify your home, why not? Maybe why? Yes. You'll have to think that through. But whatever you decide, there's a condition that you always must keep before your mind's eye that we're only tenants. Even though you have a deed and it's registered in City Hall, and even though you're painting your house and fixing your garden, you can't forget that you're only a tenant here. It's Hashem's home and you are visiting for a little bit. You're a tenant. Certainly you should live a normal life. You should live a normal life, but it has to be the normal life of a visitor. You should keep in mind always this great principle that you are like a man in a railway station. Let's say you're in Grand Central and you have a chance to do some business there. You can buy from one person and sell to somebody else at the station. Why not? No reason why not. But you have to know that soon you'll be hearing a whistle and the conductor will shout, all aboard! And you won't have a choice. You'll have to get aboard. And so if you'll keep that in mind, that the train is coming sooner or later. So there's no reason why you can't have a nice home as well. As long as you'll be able to hop on board with a big amount of paper money or banknotes that you'll be able to cash in when you get to your destination. So you've accomplished. And so in order to remind the Am Yisrael of their condition in this world, it was necessary to have a Yovel. It was necessary to have this big commotion every 50 years as a national lesson. Everyone became aware. Even the people who had no minds, who didn't think, became aware. They saw the tumult, the roads jammed with people, families moving out of homes into homes. What's happening here? What's going on? It's no secret, says Hashem. I'm telling it to you as open as could be. The land is mine. You are only strangers and sojourners with me. The land does not belong to anyone, not to the one who bought it, and not to the original owner. It belongs to somebody else, the real landlord with a capital L. Now it's true that we don't have the Yovel nowadays. We don't have that privilege of being reminded with such an earth-shaking event that turns the Am Yisrael upside down. But there are other ways that we remind ourselves. We put the name of our landlord on every doorpost. Did you know that? That's one of the important reasons for the mitzvah of mezuzah. Whenever you pass through a doorway, it should remind you who owns the house. Of course, you saved up for years and finally you got the deed to the house. For years and years, you paid and paid to the bank until finally they mailed to you the deed. You are free and clear. It's finally yours. No, you're not free and clear because every time you pass the mezuzah, you're reminded that you still have a landlord who is the real owner of the property. And so the mezuzah is a remarkable opportunity for learning the lessons of Yovel. If you take advantage of the mezuzah, even if it's only once a day, you can succeed at acquiring the realization that ki li ha'aretz, that the earth belongs to Hashem. And that we're only passing through, just as our forefathers did in Eretz Yisrael, when they still had the institution of Yovel. Now the most important words inside your mezuzah are Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. 
you know that these first words in Shema have a number of meanings. I know one Mechaber who wrote a Sefer with a hundred meanings, and they're all valuable, all very important. But we won't try that much. Right now, we'll concentrate on the one Perush that we need to better understand our subject. The Choy Vesalavavis tells us that the Pasuk describing the Yovel, you are sojourners with me in this world, is actually teaching us the Perush in what it means that Hashem is one. Because actually Yovel teaches us much more than what we are traveling, than, teaches us much more, Yovel teaches us much more than that we are travelers who don't own our homes. You are sojourners with me. With me means only with me. Hashem Echad. As far as you're concerned, there is nobody else in the world except you and me. And so the Yovel is, tell, is letting us know that as we live out the years of our lives in this temporary world, we do, we do so as lonely strangers passing through this world. Nobody else exists in the world except for Hashem. That's the idea contained in this important meaning of Hashem Echad, that He's the only one in our lives. Now that's not easy for a person to accept. He thinks that betoch ami anoichi yosheves, that He has relatives, a community, friends. He doesn't feel alone. Hashem, yes, Hashem is also real. He'll admit that. He's a from a man after all. But the people around me, that's really real. He thinks. And what that means is that he's missing out on the most important part of his entire dra- of this entire drama of Yovel that Hashem is making. Yovel is telling you that you are imadi, together with me, alone, all the days of your life. I want you to listen to the following words of David HaMelech. David appealed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ta'iti kese oved. I am wandering like a lost sheep, Hashem. Bakesh avdecha. Search out your servant. That means, please find me, Hashem, because I'm lost. I'm all alone in this world. Now, you know that David was a man of very great success and power. And we're told that Libo kelev ha'aryeh. He had a heart like a lion. A heart like a lion. He was born with the nature of a lion. And fear was alien to him. He was energetic and brave, and that's besides for his bitachon, his trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And yet this great man revealed his soul when he appealed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I am wandering like a lost, lonely sheep. Please find me. Now, if anybody wasn't lost in this world, it was David HaMelech. Looking at him, you would say that he's the last person in the world to be a candidate for the role of a lost sheep. But what we see is that David understood more than other people what his man's what is man's station in this world. He is enunciating here the great principle of our loneliness in Oilam Haze, the great principle that there is nobody in the world except for you and Hashem. And that's what David said. I look on my right hand and I see that there's nobody who knows me. Nobody who knows me? David, of all people, he was always surrounded by friends. He, was always, he always had loyal men with him. And yet, when he looked around, he saw that he had no one. He felt he was a stranger to everyone. I look at my right hand side and I see that no one knows me. You think they know you? No, 
It's only a dream. That's the real truth. And that's what David HaMelech was always telling himself. He would sit in the royal court and look around at his many friends, his admirers, all the quarter, all the courters, and he would whisper to himself, Ein li makir. There's nobody with me. There's nobody in this world except for you, Hashem. Now, some people think that David was just saying words. He was just being poetic, creating prose for his Sefer Tehillim. But that's not who David was at all. David spoke words that came from the heart, words that would spring forth from his neshama after many hours of walking in the field with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. David walked with Hashem, making that cheshbon ha'adam im nafsho that we spoke about. He thought many hours, bitnai hagyurus ba'olam hazeh, about his condition of being a sojourner, a visitor in this world. And he realized the truth, that as far as a man is concerned, there isn't anybody in this world except for Hashem. There isn't a soul around, and that's the real truth. It's only imagination. All the forms around you are just ships that pass in the night that have no permanent connection with you. And the truth is, don't say, don't say this over at home, but even your wife and your children are transitory figures. They're not really who you are. It so happens that HaKadosh Baruch Hu took some protoplasm made from some of his chemicals and he gave you a father and a mother. He gave you brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors. But it's only protoplasm after all. It's only Hashem's imagination. It's only temporary. They came out of the earth and they were put there for you to deal with. You, and they were put there for you to deal with them according to the ways of the Torah. And that's how they'll deal with you as well, because you're, all, you're also only the imagination of Hashem. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't get married. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have friends. Oh, no. You have to do everything that's expected of you while you're in this world. You can't ignore everyone else. You can't say, my father and my mother are only transitory figures, so I'll ignore them. Nothing doing. Nothing doing. You have to discharge your obligations fully. Only that you must not lose sight of your best friend in, the, in, in this world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You have a wife and you have children and friends and neighbors and teachers, but you can't be fooled by it at all. It's a big danger, this world, because if you don't ever make this chesh ben ha'adam, im nafsho, if you never make time to think about your condition of geiris in this world, so life creates the impression that you're surrounded with allies, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, relatives, and friends. When things are settled, when life settles into the humdrum so a person feels secure, he has his home, his family, his job, and he's surrounded by people, and it's amongst people. When a person feels like he belongs, that's when it's so easy to forget about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like right now, it seems like we're together. We're sitting together in the same room. Maybe some of you are sleeping, but more or less, it seems like we're together. But it's not true. Really, we are all at, we are all at sea like ships passing in the night. They pass for a moment and then they're gone. That's how people are in this world. It seems that you have friends, but the friends disappear in the course of time. And of course, you also disappear. And all you have left is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So even if you're a loyal husband or a loyal wife, a loyal father or a loyal mother, 
and you have a house full of children, sometimes when you find yourself alone, make sure to utilize the opportunity to exercise these thoughts. Let's say the babies are all asleep and the other ones went out to the yeshiva and your husband is at work and you're alone. Or better yet, if you're a bachelor, it's not better to be a bachelor, but if you are, make use of the opportunity. You're alone. Revel in that opportunity. Just think of how you'd be deprived of the awareness of Hashem if you were surrounded right now by a large family. You would have to exchange your thoughts of Hashem for banter with the children and for talking with your wife. The telephone is ringing all the time. And here you are alone. Nobody to bother you. Nobody even knows about you. You're sitting all alone in your little den. And you're alone with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You and HaKadosh Baruch Hu are alone together. That's an opportunity. And when such opportunities come your way, you should grab them and utilize them. But we're saying here that you don't have to wait for that quiet moment, for, that, for when the special occasion presents itself. Because even when you're walking on the street, you're all alone with Hashem. Let's say you're on Broadway at the end of the day and, and the wave, an ocean of humanity is pouring out of the office buildings. And sometimes it's so crowded you can't even walk. You're being carried along to the subway with thousands of people. Just then, that's when you should think, Hashem Echad, I'm alone with you in this world. And when you get onto the train, no difference. You're hanging onto the strap at 5.30 in the subway if, if you were lucky enough to get a strap to hang on to. And as you're hanging on to that strap, first of all, make sure your wallet is secure. Don't go off in dreams and forget practical things. And as you're holding on tightly like this, with one hand on the strap and one hand on your wallet, think that, think that you're all alone here. It's just you and the Kadosh Baruch Hu. Close your eyes and feel that the place is empty. All around you is a storm of humanity with all of their little interests, their worries, their conversations, their little minds. And you're holding on to that strap all alone with your best friend. It's an exercise and it's well worth it. And it comes highly recommended by the Chovah Salavavas. He says that it's possible to be in solitude in the midst of a multitude. That's his expression. In the midst of a multitude, you can be all alone. Because that's the real truth. Even when you're in a crowd, you're hanging onto a strap in the subway. You're all alone because everything else is only a dream. Like a dream passing you by. And the more you think, the more you're exercising the flabby muscles of your soul. And therefore, as frequently as possible, try to remember that you and our Kaddish Baruch Hu are alone in the world. Moshe Rabbeinu said that, and he had said it in words that everybody knows, only that most people never stop to think about these words. Tefillah Moshe Isha Elohim. It's a prayer composed by Moshe, one of the rare things left over from the days of old, a memento of Moshe's own composition that lets us peer into the mind of the Isha Elohim, that great man of God. Moshe Rabbeinu, he said a lot of good things, but we don't have them. One remnant remains from the precious mouth of this great teacher, and it's a diamond, a prayer by Moshe. Isn't that an opportunity? We should study that. 
Moshe's own composition. And here's what he said. Hashem ma'on ata hayitalanu. Hashem, you are our dwelling place. Tehillim. It's a remarkable statement. It means Hashem, we don't have a place to live. And so we live in you. You know, when, you know when that was? Ideally, it was in the wilderness. We had no place to be in the wilderness. We didn't have any land, no place to settle. Wherever we did settle, it was only temporary. We were surrounded by the Shekhinah, by the clouds of glory, and you were our dwelling place. We lived in you. And that was the training, the prototype for the rest of our history. Because whenever, wherever we go, we still live in you. That's why the Am Yisrael, when they talk about Hashem, so they say, Hamakum, Hamakum, Hamakum this, Hamakum that. Makum means place, and Hashem is the place. We live in Him. You think you live in a house? You think you live in a home with your parents or your spouse and your children? No. You live in Hashem. That's all. He's your home. We have to be aware of that. That's part of our job in this world, to remember that there's no place in this world. It's all imagination. There's only one true place. Hamakom. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the place. Even the place where we are is only a dream. It's our imagination. We have no place but you. That's why a Jew is always hounded in this world. The Jew walks on the streets in Europe and the Goyim cast slurs on him. They tell him, get out of our country, you dirty Jew. Go to Israel. And if he does, so the Arabs tell him, get out. The UN tells him, get out. And it's not for no reason. It's important instruction to let him know that he really has no place in this world. And the purpose of not having any place in this world is to discover that we do have a place. And that place is Hamakom Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is called a place. Because wherever we are, it's only Him whom we live with. So what do we see? That the great ceremony of the Yovel was intended as a lesson for the Am Yisrael. It was a national demonstration of the most important truths. I say most important because it reveals to us the truth of our condition in this world. It's really one lesson, but we separated it into two for the sake of better understanding it. First of all, the Yovel demonstrated to us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the landlord and that we are only tenants visiting in this world. And in order that we should keep this lesson in our minds at all times, the Torah instituted this remarkable practice, a great shuffle up once every 50 years so that it would, it would make the deepest impression into our neshamas. And the second lesson of Yovel, the more subtle teaching, is that our landlord is the only one we have in this world. We're strangers. We're all alone in this world. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is our only friend. And he's the best friend you could have. That's what it says. Don't forsake your friend and the friend of your father. Mishle. That's Elokeinu Velokeavotenu. That's our old friend. He is tried and trusted. And he's the only one we have. And even though today we don't have the Yovel, we don't hear the shofar blast, and we don't feel the earthquake, that once woke the Am Yisrael from its slumber, from the lethargy of not thinking. But we study it, and we gain as much as we possibly can from its teachings. 
And the wise person always makes use of the deed to his home that adorns his doorposts. Even every time we pass in and out of our homes, we are reminded that our home is not really a home at all. It's merely the place we're visiting temporarily. It's the place where we spend our fleeting lives preparing to enter our permanent home in the next world, where we will meet the Hashem Echad, who was our one and only true friend in this world. Have a wonderful Shabbos.